we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 11. Now, one of the things that we're trying to really reiterate is the idea that the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we, we began this last week, should not be a, a divisive thing that comes between the people of God. Now, it, it, it invariably is because people draw their lines in the sand in a lot of different places. I know that um, when I was growing up in the charismatic movement, charismatic renewal, God was doing incredible things. And what I found, though, is that even though he brought a lot of people into the Pentecostal experience, the lines that were drawn uh, way back at Azusa Street and maybe earlier kept getting drawn again with bolder and bolder markers. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in the Azusa Street revival, which was um, uh, uh, over 100 years ago, um, the, the, uh, the, the Bible-believing church in America had this to say, that uh, if you speak in tongues or are part of the Pentecostal movement, you are probably possessed by a devil because you are in, embracing a movement whose founder was a sodomite. That's not the, you know, that's not being very kind. So what did we do? Well, we responded in kind. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. And we've got two sides quoting scriptures to tell how bad the other one was. And that same thing happened in the charismatic movement. It's like a friend of mine, uh, Joseph Garlington used to talk about him and his brothers. He said, he, I grew up in a big family and he said, we boys were big eaters. He said, my brother did something that really bothered me. One of his, he failed to identify which brother he said, he said, but whenever we would have fried chicken or pork chops or any kind of prime meat that was special for our meal, he said, I had a brother that would pick out about three pieces and do this. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. And the other boys would get so mad. And he, he said that I asked, you know, he said, I think the Holy Ghost gave me an answer to how to deal with this. When he said, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. Joe Garlington started going, you can have it. You can have it. You can have it. And, and loved ones, I want to tell you, I think sometimes when we understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit only as an experience instead of a life, the opponents of it have tainted it, and our response is to just contaminate it further. I, I believe that what God is doing, I don't know how he's going to do it. I'm not saying who's going to believe what or who's going to change what or who's going to cross the line. But I believe that God is doing something that we don't know yet how he's going to do it. He's going to restore the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the cherished doctrine that it ought to be, and it will be embraced by his church. I, I'm afraid that we're waiting for everybody that disagrees with us to agree with us. And God's going to do it in such a way that we, I don't think any of us know how he's going to do it, but he is not going to bring a victory where the cessationist will say, well, we knew it. We knew it. We had to tweak a little bit, but we were right. And he's not going to do it where the Pentecostals say, well, we've been waiting for you since Azusa Street. You know, he's going to do it in a way that we're yet to understand. 
But what we are after as the people of God, whether we are non-Pentecostal, anti-tongues, cessationists, or whether we are full-blown Pentecostals that embrace all the gifts of the Spirit, we have got to step back and embrace the attitude of humility. And that doesn't mean we have to compromise what we believe, but it does mean we need to stop fighting with brothers over it. We need to stop co-contaminating. And that's a tough thing, but I believe God is going to help us. In Acts chapter 11, now this is what we want to do this week. Last week, we talked about the experience called the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We mentioned, I think it was six descriptive phrases. And the takeaway from last week is that all six of these phrases were speaking of the same experience. I know that some people have devised an elaborate elaborate, confusing house of cards where this experience means this and this experience means this and this experience means this, this experience means this. And I can just see the Holy Spirit uh, choosing to illuminate the early church with that kind of tedium uh, and that kind of minutia. It wasn't that they knew what the experience was. Um, And today we want to talk, I want to try to answer some questions Now, I want to say this, and please understand, this is not because I don't want to talk to people, but today is not the day to line up after church with me or the pastors or somebody else and say, well, listen, explain this to me. What about this? What about that? There's a time for that, but this isn't the time for it today. Today is the time that we open our heart to receive. Nothing wrong with questions, but I, I believe that God is far better about answering questions than someone else might be. Again, the pastors aren't trying to withdraw. Church leaders aren't trying to withdraw. We're trying to say that in a quest to get answers, we often miss what God is doing. We we absolutely miss what God is doing. Um, Because we have a tendency to defend our own views. There's a Pentecostal leader a few years ago that was so anti-Pentecostal that his college roommate was going to uh, meet with a Pentecostal prayer group. He said, I'm so hungry for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I just want to go. And if God wants to fill me and give me tongues, I'm willing. If he doesn't, I'm okay. I just need this hunger satisfied. And this guy that was so anti, anti-Pentecost, he wasn't just, oh, be careful. He, he wasn't, well, we see it a little differently than them. He was, he was viciously anti-Pentecostal. He said, well, let's do it. He said, please don't go. And the guy said, I've got to go. I feel like God wants me to go. And the anti-tongues guy said, well, let me at least drive you. I will drive you and I will pray for you when you go in. I'll wait outside and I'll be praying for you outside that nothing that's not God won't, you know, will happen to you. And the guy said, okay. And he said, he got there early. He parked the car and he said, he put, he said, I put my hand on my friend that was going in for prayer. This was the anti-Pentecostal. He said, and I had six, uh, he said, I bushwhacked him. 
He said, I had six or eight reasons why tongues and miracles are not for today. And I wanted that to be the last thing he heard. I laid hands on him. He said, and he said, I prayed. He said, my intention was to pray, Lord, don't let him be deceived. Lord, don't let him fall into the trap. And he said, I started praying for him. And I said, Lord, lead him into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And, and he said, that, he said, that's, wait, that's not, that's not what I meant. Lord, what I meant is when he goes into this building, let everything happen to him that needs to happen to him. And he said, I was just, ah, that's not what I'm trying to say. And he says, you do not want to go in there and be thin, leave unfilled. You, he, he said, I, I called out to God. He said, I realized I was under demonic attack. And he said, as I prayed for him to not speak in tongues, he said, I began to speak in tongues as the spirit gave me utterance. Now, I want to tell you, that's not usually the way it happens. That's not usually the way it happens. It can happen that way. You say, oh, that's not biblical. I don't know. You look at the prayers of Balaam. Balaam's intention was to pray a curse over Israel. And every time Balaam opened his mouth to pray a curse, he ended up blessing Israel. And he finally said to King Balak, he said, I can't curse them. He said, every time I curse them, open my mouth to curse them, I end up blessing them. No, I'm saying this, loved ones. I am not here to talk you out of one position into another. I'm not here to minimize your walk with you. I would never minimize your walk with Jesus because it might be different than mine. Who am I to criticize the church that brought you to the king? Who am I to criticize your pastor or your teacher or your upbringing or your parents when that upbringing has brought you to Jesus? I'm not going to do that. I'll never do that. But I'm saying this, we're all on a journey for truth. We're all on a journey to know everything there is to know about serving the Lord. So let's just open our hearts and I'm going to just deal with some questions but the emphasis today will be on an open heart to receive. Okay. Um, Acts eleven fifteen to 17 says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Now, Peter has been explaining what happened the chapter earlier when he went to preach about Jesus to the church in the household of Cornelius. Well, it wasn't even a church. It was a collection of God seekers. They had been going to the synagogue and they weren't even allowed to come into the synagogue. They were behind a screen where non-Jewish men and the women would be. And they're just, how would you like it if we just had a chain link fence back here? And, and if, you, if you weren't in full agreement with us, you could listen, but you had to be outside the, the, the fence. Well, that's the way it was. Uh, so it wasn't even a church. It was a group of God fearers, people, people, and, and God fearers was the name given to people who were not Jewish, but were interested in learning about God. And the intention was that one day they'll come into the synagogue. The men will be circumcised and they will become Jewish. Remember Acts chapter 15, what the big argument was about and why Acts chapter 15 is so important is up until Acts chapter 15, the idea was this. You can become a Christian if you're not a Jew. 
You can become a believer in Messiah, but you have to become a Jew first. And that's why Paul is constantly dealing with people about don't be misled by uh, this allegiance to, to kosher food or this allegiance to holy days. He says, he says those things served a purpose. They were valid. They were good. But they are not part of this new man in Christ Jesus. Now, the, the, the ruling was you can observe those things and you can celebrate those things. But the church said, we're taking that off the table as a requirement for serving God. Nothing wrong with celebrating the feast days. Nothing wrong. If you, if you want to observe this, that, or the other, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't think that has anything to do with your salvation. And don't think that you have even a moment's rights to impose that on believers, either coming from a Jewish system or a non-Jewish system. And uh, that's why Acts chapter 15 was so huge, so huge. And, and Peter was relaying what happened in Acts 10. He says, as I began to speak, he was talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on them as upon us at the beginning. Peter didn't even get to finish his sermon. He, he was preaching about Jesus and faith was sparked in their heart and they opened their heart to Jesus. And the, the response was that they were uh, born again. They were filled with the spirit. They began to speak in tongues. He said, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, <coughs> John indeed baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, now here's an important verse. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Amen. Now I think it is wrong to oppose the Pentecostal expression of faith. I, I really do, I think it's wrong. But I think we Pentecostals have committed an error just as egregious when we say, well, here, take that. You can't keep me from speaking in tongues. You can't do it. You can't do it. Told you. Do you realize that when we get somebody healed, our response is to say, take that, you cessationist. Take that, you unbeliever. I tell you, the amazing thing to me is that God does as much as he does when we've got all this tainted attitude in us. But I love this attitude. They, they said, God moved in a way I didn't understand. This does not fit my theology, but who am I to withstand God? Now, let's back up a little bit. What are some stumbling blocks that make the fullness of the spirit with its various manifestations and tongues is where I'm going to focus today because, because a lot of, I, you know, tongues is the stumbling block over this issue of the spirit's fullness. Um, why would someone not believe in that pastor? Well, number one, they just may have incorrect teaching. When you have been in a, a setting all your life, a church that you love with a pastor you admire with a, with a family heritage that you would never want to walk away from. If you've been taught incorrectly, that can carry a lot of weight in your life. I think I was taught incorrectly on some things. I don't think they were major things. They were more positional things, more attitudinal things. Um, 
But I know this, it took me a long time to begin to work through some incorrect teaching. Uh, some things I thought were incorrect teaching, I threw out. And as I walked with the Lord a little bit more, I went outside and tried to find where I threw them out and bring them back in. Um, sometimes fear. Uh, there is nothing, well, few things that would be more offensive to the flesh than to lose, or not lose control, but to submit control to another entity and let that manifest through your mouth. I want to say again, it's not losing control, but you, you open yourself to the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit has to give the utterance. You can't teach people how to speak in tongues. I, I encourage you, as good as the people may be, do not, do not let people that want to teach you how to speak in tongues minister to you. Don't let people, and then when you talk like they tell you that you're speaking in tongues, don't do that. That's called golly hopping, you know, just, but there, there is, there is, there's fear that can take over. Um, I remember a man that I was pastor of, of, really not of him, of his children. I was youth and children's pastor for a couple of years at a church. He, he said, he, the pastor said that brother so-and-so answers the call to be filled with the spirit every week because for over 30 years, he's tried to speak in tongues and he's never spoken in tongues. And finally, uh, you know, I told him everything I knew to do. And finally I left the church, went to another church, got a phone call one day from him. He said, he said, I've been filled with the Holy spirit and I spoke in tongues. And he said, you know what I found out? He, he said, I was, there's not a reason I couldn't have spoken in tongues 30 years ago. I was just afraid it'd be me speaking in tongues. And he said, you know what I found out? It is me that speaks in tongues. I knew what he was trying to say. He said, I didn't want it to just be the flesh. Well, you even got to take it a step further. It is you, it is your flesh that speaks in tongues. But what happens when you speak in tongues, and this is very important, you speak in tongues as the spirit gives utterance. It's a supernatural thing. You say, well, why are some other people uh, uh, having trouble with tongues? Because of some horrible examples. Pentecost has produced some horrible examples of the way that uh, the, the dynamic of the Holy Spirit happens. And I'm not, going to, I'm not going to dignify them with an excuse. I'm not even going to dignify them with these are some of the things I've seen. But uh, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it, some of them are funny, but I, I don't have time to do it today. I want to tell you, you can find bad examples and especially now online. Oh my goodness. You can find, you, you can find doctored footage. You can find embarrassing footage. You can find something lifted out of context. There are 12,402 examples probably that you could go to this afternoon. This is what Pentecostals are like. Well, no, it's not. But there's enough of that that happens. We have bad examples. A lot of times misunderstanding. Uh, boy, I tell you what, you can take a clip of a sermon. You can take a video clip without what came before and what came after. And it creates all kinds of misunderstanding. I think, um, I think Pentecostals make the mistake of thinking non-Pentecostals don't believe in the Holy Spirit. I've never met a non-Pentecostal believer that did not believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit the same way we do. Um, don't, don't say that they're rejecting the Holy Spirit. They love and embrace the Holy Spirit. And they have said, you know, that we 
put the Holy Spirit ahead of Jesus. I, I, we should never do that. That's not the position of our church. The Holy Spirit comes to confirm what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of the truth that Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit's always pointing back to Jesus. I think both sides misunderstand each other profoundly. But let me go a little bit deeper. I th are you guys still with me out there? Okay. Um, I think one of our biggest enemies in the Pentecostal church is what I call a passive spirit. I think that's what keeps good pastors from becoming great pastors. I think that's what is generally keeps small churches from becoming larger churches. Now don't get me wrong. I believe in the kingdom of God. There are small churches, there are fellowships, there are great churches, big churches. And, and I think there's a, there's a different purpose for each one, but I'm going to tell you, I have seen it over and over again. Any kind of growth in the spirit, whether it's individually, in your family, a church, a denomination, it takes stretching. It takes leaning into the unknown. And some of the purest hearts I've ever known, some of the best pastors I've ever known, some of the best preachers I've ever known have never risen to what God wanted them to be because a passive spirit makes them stay where they are and they never reach forward. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a, it, and and we, we call it balanced. We're not balanced, we're just passive. And we've got to be careful. I didn't get any amens on that. So that was probably a good point. Um, here's, here's another thing that can mess us up. When we have demands from others that our experiences match. Now, now don't, don't misunderstand me here. I am, I am an Assemblies of God minister. I believe that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues is the normative experience. You ought to speak in tongues. But Loveland, I want to tell you, I know there are reasons people don't speak in tongues. So I'm not going to say if somebody says, well, I prayed to be filled in the spirit, but I don't speak in tongues. I want to encourage them to speak in tongues. And in case any AG official is listening, I believe that tongues is the initial physical evidence of the Holy Spirit. I do. I really do believe that. I believe when you're filled with the spirit, there's not a reason in the world you can't speak with tongues. But I'm not, if you don't, I think it's because of fear or bad examples or incorrect teaching or misunderstanding or things I don't even know about. But I am not prepared to tell you you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that's a slippery slope and I know that you say, well, what about this? What about that? But the good thing is I'm not smart enough to answer all of those things. <laughs> So I, I don't have to, but I tell you what I think happens sometimes is we say, if your experience doesn't match my experience, your experience is invalid. Now I'm willing to say, this is what I believe we ought to look for. I say, continue to seek the Lord for a full expression of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But this pastor is not going to say you're second class. If you haven't experienced the fullness of the spirit, the way that I have. Last week, we talked about this. We said that the Holy Spirit is multifaceted and, and the, the emphasis we want to make is you just receive. I believe that the, one of the biggest problems um, in, the, in the Assemblies of God and the Pentecostal movement is we believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but we have expressed it in terms that until everything is exactly like me, 
or my experience, you have not come into the fullness I have yet. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. I really do. I don't get me wrong. I think everybody in here uh, uh, should be able to speak in tongues. I believe you can speak in tongues. You say, well, then why haven't I? I don't know. I, I, I can't answer that. I've given you some, some reasons. Um, and, and I think there are some other things that don't sound as kind. I think there are some other reasons that, uh, that I don't have enough expertise to explain. But I do want you to know this. I want to say this emphatically. Those of you that are in this sanctuary that says, I've tried, and you come away with a feeling of I'm just less than everybody else. Or God says yes to everybody and not to me. That is a lie from hell. And you are buying into the devil's line and you're not going to find any sympathy for me over that view. You are not the poor mistreated stepchild. You say, well, why can't I speak in tongues? Go to the one who gives tongues and talk to him. Because I can't answer that question other than some suggestions. But I tell you this, I believe that more often than not, if we haven't received that beautiful language of, uh, prayer language of tongues, it's simply because we've been too easily distracted, too easily set down, and we don't seriously seek. Now, that's already more than I wanted to say. It's like a marriage. I think we Pentecostals have put so much emphasis on the wedding we spent $15,000 on the wedding and $20,000 on the honeymoon. And we don't understand that after that week or so is over, you've got a thing called a marriage that has to be worked out and lived out. Now, don't get me wrong. I love beautiful weddings. I love, you know, the idea of a great honeymoon. I'm not against that at all. As long as when you get back home and your feet hit the ground, you realize there's a marriage to work out. And a lot of people in Pentecostal experience keep talking about their wedding. They can't stop talking about the wedding. Well, the wedding's great, but the wedding was just a celebration of what you're about to take on. See, see a wedding, the wedding is wonderful, but the marriage is where you make it or break it. You know, you say, well, I don't know about that. Then what else do you call in witnesses and swear to God that you're going to make it work? Even if it kills me, if I'm rich, if I'm poor, if I'm well, if I'm sick, by God, I'm going to do it. And all we can think about is the wedding. Man, we've got a lifetime. We've got a lifetime. Oh, well, better go on. Let's hurry because I, I want you to be able to get in the altar. Roman numeral three, uh, or number two in your outline. I want you to know that the place of tongues in the book of Acts is that it is normative. It was the normative Christian experience uh, speaking in tongues. It was not something you say, well, but Paul said, do all speak in tongues? And the answer is no, you know, do all speak in tongues? But the context of Paul was in regard to tongues as a spiritual gift. Uh, in, in our worship. He was talking about healing, about miracles, about the gifts of prophecy. He was talking about those gifts of the spirit. He said, now, not all of you do this and not all of you do this and not all of you do this. 
Not everyone will give a message in tongues or interpret tongues. Not everyone will have a word of knowledge uh, when the congregation comes together. That's what he was talking about. He said, not everybody will have the gift of giving a message in tongues. He said, in fact, you need to understand when tongues are given, don't let more than three messages be given and interpreted or people will just think you're crazy. But you say, well, why do we come together and everybody speak in tongues if Paul said only three? Because Paul was talking about a message to the congregation that is different than tongues. In fact, we're going to find out about six uses of tongues in just a minute. If you'll quit asking so many questions, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. Um, let's look at the New Testament as a whole. I, I, I want to say it again. I believe the gift of tongues, not to give a message, but I believe the experience of the Spirit's fullness and speaking in tongues is, is the heritage of every believer. If you don't, I would encourage you to be open to that, but don't let it consume you. And I want to encourage you, don't, don't let anybody tell you you're second class. If you have these, whatever issues in your life. Okay. The place of tongues in New Testament epistles, again, it's normative. It's normative. Um, I want you to know in scripture, there is absolutely nothing that supports the idea of cessationism, that tongues was for a while and then it was taken away. Um, there's nothing that supports exclusivity, which means those that speak in tongues are better than those that don't speak in tongues. We are encouraged. Now, this is what we're encouraged four things. We are encouraged to be filled with the Spirit. We are encouraged to never grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. One translation says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. We are encouraged to pray in the Spirit. And we are encouraged to sing and worship in the Spirit. It's inferred in the teaching about praying in the Spirit. And it's clear in the teaching about singing in the Spirit. Paul made it clear whether we're praying or singing, we can do it in our, with, with understanding. That is our language. There are times that we pray to God and we understand exactly what we're saying. We choose the words. There are times we sing and we sing with our language. We know exactly what we're singing. But he said there are times that you sing with the understanding, but there are times that you sing with the Spirit. And the inference is you don't sing with understanding. You're praying in the Spirit, uh, uh, singing in the Spirit. And there are times that you pray in the Spirit. He said in Romans 8, we all have this infirmity that we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us according to the will of God because he knows the mind of God. He knows the heart of God. He knows our mind. He knows our heart. And the Spirit will let us pray with groanings that cannot be uttered. And what that means, it's a tough verse going from one language to another. He says, but there are spiritual prayers where we don't understand all that's being said or the dynamics of it. And he says, we're encouraged to pray in the spirit. We're encouraged to sing in the spirit. What we are after, we thank God for the experience of speaking in tongues, especially for the very first time. But we must understand that all that is, is opening a door to a life lived out in the spirit. Now, number four on your outline, uh, 
If you please hold, stop asking these questions. Let's go to number four. There are five, well, really six. I One I didn't put in your notes and you say, well, the Lord must have been leading you. Why didn't you put number six in the notes? What was the reason and the revelation for it? I forgot. Okay. I didn't even catch it until a couple of days ago that I'd left one out. So there's supposed to be six uh, normal expressions um, of tongues. Um, number one, and, and, and some of this overlaps. So I'm not, I, I don't have inspiration in distinguishing. There, there are some that are so close together, it's almost impossible to distinguish them, but the purpose is a little different. And by the way, when I say this, um, speaking in tongues is the same in essence for all six of these, but it's different in its purpose and its intention. Okay, same in essence, when Corey goes home, whether he is greeted by his wife that says, hey, my little kumquat, or he is greeted by his children that say, hey, daddy, or he's walking in from the driveway and somebody across the street says, hey, neighbor, how's it going? Or Pastor Justin drives by and says, hey, Corey, don't forget the meeting we got tomorrow afternoon. You see, it's the same Corey, but we're discovering, and he walks in, he's got a phone call from his mom, you know, uh, and, and he's a son. And then his sister has sent him a letter in the mail. Okay. It's the same Corey, but he's a husband. He's a daddy. He's a son. He's a brother. He is um, a fellow worker. He's a neighbor. And every one of those people see him differently. They all love him. But Joy loves him like nobody else loves him. His mama loves him as only a mama can love us. His children adore him because he's their daddy. His neighbor says, boy, I'm glad I live in this neighborhood because of the Hendersons. Justin loves him because he's a great worker, you know, and the sister says he's the best sibling I could possibly have. And all of that is true. And they probably call him by different names, but it's the same Corey. Are you with me? It's the same way with tongues, the same in essence, but different in expression. First of all, we see tongues in the scripture as an initial infilling. We, we see the explanation of the, uh, uh, um, or the introduction of the Holy Spirit's ministry. We heard them speak in tongues. And then when, like I said, whenever Paul, or excuse me, Peter was explaining what the events in the house of Cornelius, he said, we heard them speaking in tongues just as we did in the beginning. Uh, but tongues is also used as a message to believers who are gathered together. Um, now, we don't have a lot of messages in tongues in our services, not because we don't think they're worthy, not because we don't think they are uh, purpose-filled, not because we don't think they're important. I think the larger the group, the more difficult a message in tongues or even a prophetic utterance is. It's not forbidden, but usually we have trouble hearing. If you ever feel that you're giving a message in tongues and you say, they're not listening to me, it's not we're not listening to you, we don't hear you. And we've tried getting a microphone to folks. We've tried saying, you know, come up and see Justin or whatever. And, and nothing's worked well. 
so what we have done is we've said, let's let these messages in tongues function in smaller groups and smaller settings, but it's absolutely indispensable. I don't know if we're handling that right or not. We just don't know how, any other way to handle it. But there are times that tongues come as a sign of the initial infilling, but there are also times that God says, when you are gathered as a group, someone will give a message in tongues to the gathering and it's a message because it needs to be interpreted, interpreted by another spiritual gift. Boy, you're sweating out there. No, I'm teasing. You're doing fine. Uh, thirdly, tongues can be used as an expression of worshiping God. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, um, when they explained what they said, what does this mean? We hear them giving worship to God. Sometimes you're just speaking in tongues and it's nothing more or less than you're worshiping God. Every once in a while, I'll get a letter um, from someone, you know, visiting our church and they love the Lord. They mean well, but they say, I just want to tell you, your church is so out of order. Paul says in uh, the letter to the Corinthians that two or three only should speak in tongues. And I was new to your church. I came in and there must have been 25 people around me speaking in tongues. And, I, and they, they'll, I'll end up as I dig a little deeper. They were in worship. And during worship, people are just speaking in tongues and, and giving praise and glory and honor to God. And this person or these people, it's happened many times. Um, again, no, no criticism of them. They love God. I know they love God, but they don't understand the difference between worshiping God in tongues and giving a message to believers in tongues. And there's no restriction on the number of people that can worship in tongues. Hey, are you guys with me? Okay. I'm just, you just, oh. no, I'm teasing. I'm just, easy, easy now. That's right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm teasing. I realize this is a lot to take in. But loved ones, the prohibition that Paul gave, he said, when someone gives a message in tongues, he says, number one, it ought to be interpreted. It's not, it, the cycle doesn't run complete if it's not interpreted. And he said, number two, <coughs> he said, that should happen only two, maybe three times in a gathering, because if that's all you do, it's going to lend confusion to the meeting and people on the outside are going to think you're crazy. And he said, it's important that you read. You see, Paul said to the leaders of the church, he said, when someone gives a message in tongues, when someone gives a prophetic word, he says, he says, you judge that. You judge that. See, there, sometimes people come in and say, well, it's better to obey God than man. I'm going to do what God tells me to do, not what you tell me to do. But the New Testament church, and Paul even said in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, oh, I'm just getting too deep here. Help, help me, somebody, help me. <laughs> But Paul says in chapter 14, he said, if you won't accept this teaching, then you need to understand your problem is not these people speaking in tongues. Your problem is that you're unteachable. So there's a heavy responsibility. I want to, it is a heavy responsibility on the leadership of a congregation to take upon themselves. I have to judge when somebody says, thus saith the Lord. Is it Lord with capital L or lowercase L? You know, I, Ramona will joke with me sometimes. I'll say, you know, I think the Lord's saying, and then if, if she thinks I'm joking or she doesn't agree, she said, okay, let's determine this. Is it Lord with a capital L or is it Lord with lowercase L? Because lowercase L means this is what you want. Okay. 
Now, thankfully, we're, we're usually just joking. You know, like I've told her, the Lord wants her to make a banana sandwich or something, and she's busy, uh, capital L or lower, you know, and then I have to come clean. But I want to tell you, fourthly, fourthly, tongues can be used as an expression of worship in a musical setting. There is singing in the Spirit. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding. He said, I'm going to speak in tongues. I'm going to pray in, in tongues, but I will also pray with understanding. And he said, I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Here's number five. Tongues may be seen as an expression of prayer. We call that our prayer language. And this, is, this, is, this idea is one of the main reasons why I believe this is for everybody. God wants to equip every one of us with the ability to pray in the Spirit when we don't know how to pray. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And again, that's a, that's a tough interpretation. Not tough to know what it means, but it's hard to put word to word to word to word. And what he's saying is there are some things you don't know how to express. There are some things you cannot articulate. But the Spirit knows how, and He will pray through us in tongues, and He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now He who searches the hearts knows what's the mind of the Spirit, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now here's the sixth thing that I did not put in your notes. We know this. We have experiences from the Acts 2 going forward of tongues, people speaking in tongues. And what we find out is that it is the utterance of a known human language. Paul called speaking in tongues the, the, the tongues of angels. And there was a Jewish tradition I don't have time to go into today um, that um, even Old Testament uh, saints understood that if a person ever spoke in tongues, they were praying the language of angels. That's why we call it a heavenly language. Um, but we also know that there are times when someone is speaking in tongues. They don't have a clue what they're saying, but someone in the audience does understand. That's what some of the tongues were in Acts chapter 2. What does this mean? We hear them in this language, in this language, in this language, in this language, speaking in tongues and declaring the glorious works of God. But I don't believe every language that was spoken was, uh, was a known language. Uh, so Acts chapter 2 is a good example of that. I encourage you to get a book. We're trying to find some copies now because it, it's out of print, but we're trying to find as many copies as we can that we'll make available to you. A book called Spoken by the Spirit, written by my old Sunday school teacher, Ralph Harris. It's a collection, I don't remember, 12, 15 chapters of instances where somebody spoke in tongues, not knowing, not having a clue what they were saying, but someone in the room was able to understand exactly what was being said. And um, they were translating, which is different than an interpretation. An interpretation is, is, a, is a summary of what was said, we believe. Um, uh, but they were, they were, they said, he's speaking Mandarin Chinese or he's speaking redneck or he's speaking whatever. <laughs> and, uh, uh, 
the spirit enabled them to use a language that they had never had never heard before in the book before we kill and eat you is the story of hb garlock who was a missionary to africa over 100 years ago or about 100 years ago and hb garlock was invited for supper to a particular tribe's camp um, and i mean he was invited to be supper is a better way to put it and they were about to be killed and they were about to be eaten. It was, a, it was a real cannibal tribe and that was the way they had dealt with missionaries. And H.B. Garlock asked if he could pray before they were killed and, and he began to pray in tongues and he did not have any idea what he was saying. They were dead men walking or tied, about to be executed. And H.B. Garlock prayed in tongues and then the witch doctor who was the real power of the tribe other than the, the chief, um, uh, bowed. Then the chief bowed, bodyguards bowed, everyone bowed. And then suddenly one of the guards came and cut every one of the missionaries loose and ushered them out and said to leave. And it was because of what H.B. Garlock said. You say, well, what did he say? We have no idea, <laughs> but I suspect it was something so awe inspiring that the, 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 men eaters wanted nothing to do with harming them or there was some kind of direction that was given. I mean, I don't know, maybe the spirit said, if you want to see aunt Matilda again, cut these men loose, let them go. We don't know. But the point I'm trying to make is it was an under, it was a language understood by those villagers that wasn't understood by the missionaries. So now, now, some people have said, well, that's what tongues were. It, God gave the early Christians the ability to speak in languages they hadn't learned so they could be good missionaries. No reason to believe that. Now, we know that th that happened a couple of times, but that was not the modus operandi of the, of the early missionaries. Now, where do we wrap this thing up? You know, Pastor, what do I do with this? Um, it's the idea, loved ones, that I want you to be set free to receive. We're, we, we are not going to make the mistake that the church of Ephesus did. We're not going to lose our love trying to straighten everybody's theology out. Now, we don't open the door. We don't believe as a church. We, have, we, we don't believe we're under command to give voice to everybody that says, I'm from the Lord. That's why we don't support every uh, project. We don't announce every meeting in the area. That's not our responsibility. And then sometimes I think it's absolutely counterproductive. We're not going to get tied up in giving validation to every voice. And we're not going to get tied up in trying to answer every objection. They were so diligent, the church at Ephesus was, that if somebody claimed to be an apostle, they would, they would dig into them, they would, they would research them, they would examine every word, and they came up with a list. This is a true apostle, this is a false apostle. And, they, and sometimes that's necessary, but I don't think that's the necessity that a church should put at the priority of their mission. I believe that truth overcomes lies. I believe that light overcomes darkness. And I think, I tell you what I think happens when a church decides, well, we're going to get the perfect teaching and we're going to get the perfect standard and we're going to tell you who real a prophets. I think I'm, that's a combination of an apostle and a prophet. 
and a prophet. We're going to tell you who the real prophets are. We're going to tell you who the real apostles are. I think there are churches that do that and they call themselves, I mean, this isn't a name, but they consider themselves to be like the, the, you know, the Bereans who, who were more noble because they searched the scripture. There's a place for that. And we all need to be like the Bereans. We all need to search things out. But loved ones right now, we are in an, we're in a pandemic of judgmentalism. We are in a pandemic of arrogance. And I really believe that what the church needs, we need to know truth. We need to teach truth. I am committed to teaching truth, but I will never, if it's in my power, I will never allow Christian life to become a hard-hearted judger of everybody else out there. I believe if we love Jesus, that takes care of most of the problems. I believe if we study truth, that takes care of most of the problems. And instead of telling people you have to receive this way or you have to receive that way, <laughs> you know, Mickey Mantle was my favorite baseball player. I mean, I loved Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle wasted so much talent and was still one of the greatest players ever. And Ted Williams who had a, you know, a batting average in the mid 300s. Ted Williams was, was a unique player. He's the only one that it's ever been said he played for the Red Sox. Uh, so he and Mickey were, were great competitors against each other. It was said of Ted Williams that he had such a gift of eyesight. He was a Marine Corps pilot. Ted Williams missed some of his best years flying in the wars of America, uh, missing the, the, the major league season. And his eyes were phenomenal. It didn't have to be good to be a pilot, but they were phenomenal. And it was said that Ted Williams' eyes were so good that he could see the curving of the seams on a ball. He would say to Mickey, he said, Mick, is it spinning this way or this way? And Mick says, it's coming at me 95 miles an hour. I can't even see the seams. <laughs> and, and Mickey's friends said that Ted Williams went out of his way to give Mickey a lesson on watching the seams and how to follow the ball. And Mickey's average dropped from 328 to 262. And he said, I just, I, I can't, I, I, I can't figure this out. He said, I know it's true because Ted's batting 360. And what Casey Stingle finally said is, <coughs> Mickey, you can't see like Ted. God hadn't made you to see like Ted. Get up to that plate and do what you always do. Have fun and hit home runs. And I know that's probably a crude illustration, but we have been seduced by the God of intellectualism. And we have been seduced by the God of, 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 of false scholarship. And, and, you know, I was sitting there the other day thinking, we don't even, we can't even define scholarship. How do you define a scholar? I mean, you say, well, it's a person that studies or a person that does this, but you don't have degrees. You don't have measuring sticks. A person down here could be a scholar and a person up here could be a scholar. But we elevate. History Channel does that. Give somebody a degree. And I believe in degrees. I, I mean, I've got some degrees. I believe in degrees. But we're in a culture that says if a man has some letters after his name, that makes him an expert. Should I tell it, Justin? Justin talked to somebody one time. They were getting information for a funeral. And Justin said, um, 
they said, well, we know he's a doctor. And he, he, Justin said, well, he, he, you don't have to do doctor for him. But if you want to do doctor, it's Dr. Stephen Chitty. And he spelled Chitty. His name like Chitty. You want to spell it well. <laughs> and uh, he said, now, Stephen, you know, he said, it's Stephen with a PH, not, not with a V. That's the carnal way to spell it. I'm, I'm kidding because I think we got about eight Stevens with a V in the church. He said, it's Stephen with a, with a PH. And so when the document came out in these bold, beautiful, beautiful calligraphy, it said, Dr. Stephen Chitty. And Stephen was S-T-E-V-E-N-P-H. <laughs> Stephen with a PH. <laughs> I told Ramona, here was my one chance for being recognized as a great scholar among the, the leadership of Columbia. And what did it get for me until my brother died last year? Everything he wrote to me was Stephen. <laughs> He's never going to let me forget it. Listen to me, listen to me, loved ones. If you are going to see the next level of what God is doing, and, and I've, got a, I've got like two minutes, I need to quit. If you are going to experience the next thing that God is doing, it's not gonna be through the approval of man. It's not going to be through the, the, the prestige of man. It's not going to be through learning something so that you can destroy others. It's going to be through intimacy with Jesus where you say, I don't have to have all the answers. Doctrine matters. Truth matters. Accuracy matters. But I want to tell you, the same gun that can be defensive, the same gun that can be used to, to gather food for your families is a gun that can also be used to, to indiscriminately destroy. And you've got to decide what you're going to do with truth. You've got to decide what you're going to do with the scripture. The same hammer that can drive a nail and build a great tabernacle is a hammer that can destroy lives and tear buildings down. I want to say this to everybody that's a member of this church, everybody that is following Jesus. You have some great and awesome resources at your disposal. Tongues is one of them. The fullness of the Spirit is one of them. But loved ones, right now, you're at the place where you've got to decide, what am I going to do with the things I've been given? Am I going to use it to elevate me above others? Am I going to use it to separate me from others? Or am I going to celebrate the commonality that we have. And we might not see something exactly the same. I know that. I know that. Um, you know, R.T. Kendall, a very dear friend of mine, R.T. is a Calvinist. I'm not. We don't agree on some things. But I don't invite R.T. to come in and have you hear us debate Calvinism and Arminianism. Because R.T. is my friend. And even though we might have different positions... I honor him and I believe RT has forgotten more about following Jesus than I know. So you got to decide, are you humble enough to be humble? 
Are you wise enough to be secondary? And that's why the gift of tongues operates like it does. That's why I know, I know few things more humbling to the flesh than opening your mouth and speaking something that is beyond your purview of understanding. I, I like to, I like to, you know, I've been listening to the, the, the prayer that Justin's been doing on the phone. I, I've, I've been there and I've loved it. And, and I mentioned that somebody how much I was enjoying it. They said, well, why don't you pray? I, I, you're the pastor. Why don't you pray? I, I didn't want to pray. The prayers I heard were so phenomenal. I, didn't, I, I don't have to be heard. And, and, and I was so ministered to by the prayers that were going up. I guess it's okay to say that, Justin. Uh, I was so ministered to by the prayers going up. I, I, I didn't have to say anything. The loved ones... God has given us so much. If we're not careful, we'll be so concerned about being right that we'll forget about being kind. We'll be so concerned about being accurate that we forget how to be useful. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. I, I got to quit saying it now because you're tired. But, um, but, but please, please understand God is renovating the church. He's not changing truth. I don't even think God is changing methods. I think a church that likes this method still with this method. Church that likes this method is still with this method. But I tell you what God is doing in this post-pandemic year or as we transition. God is saying, now who has had an encounter of truth that can walk forward holding onto their truth holding onto their truth, but not making truth their God. I don't know if I'm explaining it well or not, but I just, I just say, come Holy Spirit. Just come Holy Spirit. Lord, when you come, you deal with our arrogance. You deal with our sophistication Lord, you, you deal with all of this stuff in us and all of this stuff may be good, but we've elevated it out of its place. And Lord, I just want to say to the world, you don't have to agree with me on every point to be my brother and sister. Oh, we're going to, we're going to have to agree that Jesus is the only way. We're going to have to agree on basic doctrine. We're going to have to agree on the divinity of Christ. We're going to have to agree, uh, agree, I meant to say, we're going to have to agree on the resurrection of Christ, the sinless life, virgin birth. Yeah, those are some core things. But I want to tell you, if, if there's a place we can hold hands, I want to hold hands. And I want to go forward. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to have a prayer tunnel and Justin is going to come because I've talked long enough. You need to hear it from a different voice. He's going to come and tell you how we're going to do the prayer tunnel. I just want to say this. I know not everybody is ready to go through a prayer tunnel. I know that. Um, they're not going to be laying hands on you. Like I said last week, not going to be licking you or anything like that. So that's why it's important for you if you go through the prayer tunnel to keep moving because there won't be people leading you along. 
But the purpose of the prayer tunnel, we know God can do anything. The purpose of the prayer tunnel today is for those who say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Whatever that looks like, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're after. We're after an experience that will produce a life. We're after a wedding that will produce a marriage. Justin, come. I love you guys so much. God bless you.